It's not coffee, it's tea, just in case my voice needs it. Well, good morning, church. For our guests, my name's Rick. I'm one of the pastor elders here at Trinity, and I have the privilege of preaching God's word this morning. If I can get my computer to come up, there it is. I also want to welcome some of my family back here. Thank you guys for coming. And my good friend, Mac, and his wife, Kelly. Mac was my partner at the sheriff's office for many years. And what a blessing you have been in my life. So thank you for coming. Well, let's pray for God's word this morning. Well, praise the Lord. Oh, my soul, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Well, Father, first I give you all praise, glory, and honor. Because apart from your work on our hearts, not one of us would be here this morning. Whether believer or non-believer, you have sovereignly brought us here to hear your preached word. Your word says that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of, the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Lord, I believe you have something for each of us to receive this morning. So, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would guide me and equip your church for your good work. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, the title of this morning's message is Fugitive on the Run. Now, as we have seen in earlier chapters, Saul was a people's choice for king, but he is on his way out. God has rejected Saul back in chapter 16 and has chosen David. Even Saul at first recognized that God was with David. All of Israel and Saul celebrated when David took down the giant, Goliath, in chapter 17. But by chapter 18, Saul's love for David has turned to jealousy and hatred. Remember the song the women would sing when David would return from striking down the Philistines. Saul has struck down his thousands, David his ten thousands. Saul's jealousy escalates to the point that he tried to kill David on a number of occasions, and he even would send David into battle with hopes that David would be killed. But David only becomes more popular. In the last chapter, Saul even tried to kill his son, Jonathan. So we pick up this week with David on a run, David, the conquering hero of chapter 17, is now a fugitive running for his life. I believe the main idea behind this morning's message is when testing and trial comes our way, do we forget our God who has delivered us faithfully in the past? Well, David, a fugitive on the run. Well, in my former life in law enforcement, I spent five years in the fugitive unit as a fugitive detective. My sole purpose was to hunt down fugitives. Now in those five years, I learned that a desperate fugitive is unpredictable. They will do things that they would have never dreamed of doing before they were wanted and on the run. I've had a fugitive jump off a third floor balcony, drive head on into my vehicle, I've had fugitives hide in attics with temperatures upwards of 180 degrees. 
I even had one mother hide in a laundry basket, and she had her young children cover her with dirty clothes. Now, the children staring at the laundry basket was a dead giveaway. Well, David, he's now a fugitive. He's desperately fleeing King Saul, who wants him dead. So David flees to Nob and meets with Ahimelech, the priest. If you're looking your Bibles with me at verse 1. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? Well, first, Nob is located about two miles south of Saul's home in Gibeah. And remember Eli from early in 1 Samuel? Well, Ahimelech is his great-grandson. <laughs> it's a small world. So why did David flee to Nob? It's only two miles from Saul's home. Well, I wonder if it could be that David was looking for guidance from the Lord and from Ahimelech. Remember last week in chapter 19, David fled from Saul and went to Ramah to meet Samuel and to be with God's people where he could get guidance in prayer. Well, David, the most wanted person in Israel, meets with Ahimelech who comes into the room trembling visibly shaking, then nervously asked David, why are you alone and no one with you? So I want you to put yourself in David's shoes. You're on the run. You're one of the most wanted fugitives in the nation, and the president himself wants you dead. And you come into Trinity to meet with Tim. Tim walks in the room, and he's trembling. He's visibly shaking. I'm thinking that's probably going to unnerve you a little bit. Well, most likely this unnerved David, who was already desperate. Remember back in chapter 20, verse 3, David told Jonathan, there is but a step between me and death. David could be thinking that Ahimelech knew. Saul had already gone public in chapter 19, telling all of his servants, if you get a chance, kill David. So it appears that David panicked unbelief just gained a foothold. So my first point, David's unbelief. David's unbelief leads to a lie with Himelech when asked, why are you alone and no one's with you? Look with me in your Bibles at verse 2. And David said to Himelech the priest, the king has charged me with a matter and said to me, let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Have you ever been put in a situation where you were confronted about something and in a panic you chose to lie because you knew there would be consequences if you told the truth? Well, some commentators have tried to put a positive spin on David's lie, but really there is no excuse. David has a choice. He can tell the truth or you can tell a lie. David, the one who was courageous and full of faith against a giant, now allows fear to turn into unbelief. Church, lying demonstrates a lack of trust in God, a lack of faith. Now, there's examples in scriptures where people told lies in extreme situations, but church, a lie is still a lie even when told with good motives. 
The Bible doesn't record these lies that teach us that it's okay to lie. These are recorded because the people involved lied. The Bible doesn't try to cover it up. David is an imperfect king. Remember, the Old Testament is always pointing us to the perfect king, the Christ Jesus, our king. Jesus was questioned by Pilate. His life was on the line, and he still told the truth. The perfect king did not lie. A.W. Pink writes, Though ingenious falsehoods may seem to promote present security, yet they ensure future disgrace. Believer, there are consequences for telling a lie. And getting away with a lie may be the worst thing that happens to you. And I'm sure we have all witnessed or experienced the consequences of lying. See, marriage is destroyed. Loss of a job, which can put your family in distress. Damaged relationships with friends, family, with your children. And worst of all, as a believer, your witness for Christ. And yes, telling the truth, it may have consequences. And at times, it could be serious consequences. But as believers, living with unconfessed sin is living in darkness. We find ourselves living outside the light of God and the grace of his fellowship. 1 John 1, 6 and 7 says, If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So I wonder, what would have happened if David would have told the truth to Ahimelech and asked for prayer and guidance? But David allowed unbelief to slip in and fear to take hold. Instead of asking for prayer and advice, he shifted to asking for food and a weapon. Look at verses 3 through 6. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women, And David answered the priest, Truly, women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. So David, the fugitive, is hungry. He's fleeing for his life. And Ahimelech decided to give David the holy bread, which was only for the priests. Now Jesus in Matthew 12, 3 and 4, referred to this episode of David and the bread when the Pharisees accused him and his disciples of violating the Sabbath because they picked and ate grains as they walked through the field. It says, he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. 
Gordon Ketty explains, the true meaning of ceremonial law of the showbread was expressed in being given to David as an act of compassion and mercy, providing for real need, the law was fulfilled rather than superseded. So I believe Jesus is saying the intent of the law was fulfilled by the act of mercy. Now, I know I've said this before with my law enforcement background. I have had difficulty with showing compassion and mercy towards a homeless panhandler on the street corner. In some counties, it's actually against the law to panhandle at a street corner, and I've had to enforce those laws at times. So I can tend to have a legalistic view of the homeless person panhandling. But by God's grace, he has done a work in my heart over the years with having compassion for the panhandler. Now, I'd like to share an example of this compassion and mercy found in a text that Diane White sent to my wife. And Diane gave me permission this morning to share it with you. It reads, yesterday on my way home from the gym, I was stopped at a light at a very busy intersection. I was about five cars back from the light. I saw a man sitting at the side of the intersection on my side of the road. He was sitting in a wheelchair holding up a sign. He had only one leg. His sign said, I need help. I'm hungry. I looked and my heart said, pray for him. I had no cash on me to help him out. So I prayed for God to give him a blessing this day. Finished my prayer, still waiting for the light to change. The car in front of me was an old SUV, not in very good shape. As I finished the prayer, the door of the SUV suddenly opened, and a man got out, walked the distance to the man in the wheelchair, and gave him some money. He got back to his car, the light changed, and we all drove away. My prayer for the man I didn't know and wanted a blessing for was immediately answered. I am still in awe of what I saw and what happened. Church, it isn't about the bread. It isn't about the homeless person. It's about having a heart of mercy that leads to compassion that acts. Diane acted with prayer. So I don't believe scripture condemns David for eating the bread during his escape from Saul. David was at a crossroads. He was desperate, which led to unbelief, which led to a lie, which will have serious consequences down the road. So I ask you, are you at a crossroads this morning? How do you respond in difficult times? I would tell you, church, to call out to the Lord, confess your weakness, and ask him to guide you, to help you. Jesus desires us to come to him as imperfect as we are. So look with me now at verses 7 through 9. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Then David said to Ahimelech, Then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because a king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, who you struck down in the valley of Elah, 
Behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take it, take it, for there is none but that here. And David said, there is none like that. Give it to me. So as I read this chapter, verse 7 just seemed to be stuck in the middle of this chapter for no apparent reason. Well, it will make more sense in chapter 22. But what I will say, Doeg, he is not a good guy. Doeg is the last person that David would have wanted to see in Nob. And his presence there will bring serious consequences to Ahimelech and to Nob. Well, David's lie gets a little deeper. When he tells Ahimelech in verse 8 that he left on the king's business in such a big hurry, he forgot all of his weapons. He neglected to bring his gear. The king's business required haste. And I thought about that. That would be like me getting called into work. I just got a tip on one of my fugitives, and I go running out of my house without any of my weapons to hunt down this fugitive. Now, that's stuff that bad dreams are made of, and I've had them. (laughs) So David is not on the king's business. He is fleeing from the king. Ahimelech did have a weapon, Goliath's sword, the very sword that David used to hack off Goliath's head. Now think back, when David went out to fight Goliath, he simply had a sling and five smooth stones. David even refused Saul's armor, saying, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David's trust was in the Lord. But now David's fear has overtaken his faith in the Lord. His fear has given away to unbelief. So believer, when in the battle of unbelief, be reminded of God's faithfulness. So how? How can we be reminded of God's faithfulness? Well, be in in God's word. God reveals himself in his word that we might believe. Be in your Bibles often. And also being with God's people. I'm reminded by my brothers and sisters in the Lord all the time of God's faithfulness. Before my third cancer surgery, Freddie gave me one of those reminders. She gave me a stack of index cards. She said these are scriptures that helped her when she went through her cancer. Now, when Freddie was diagnosed with cancer, she was told she had a year to live. Just this last week, she was told she's cancer-free. So praise God. On one of those cards I have right here, Isaiah 46, 4. Even in your old age... Gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you. I will carry you. I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. Yes.
So church, are you battling unbelief? Call out to the Lord. He will carry you, he will sustain you, and he will rescue you. David is fleeing from a king, a king with uncontrollable jealousy and hatred for him. David knows Doeg the Edomite will inform Saul as to his whereabouts. David's unbelief turns into fear. This fear leads David to flee to a place where nobody would have ever thought of looking for him. He fled to Gath, Goliath's hometown. Church, we are really not that much different from David in our times of desperation. We have all said things and thought things that would have brought terrible consequences had God not intervened. So my second point is David's fear. Look with me in your Bibles at verse 10. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. You know, fear can drive you to do things you would have never dreamed of doing. I have witnessed drastic things like a suspect running on a freeway trying to jump in to moving vehicles just to avoid arrest. I had one woman cut her wrist because she was so afraid of getting a ticket. How tragic. Fear without truth can destroy lives. David's fear leads him to do something I'm sure he would have never dreamed of doing. He fled to Gath. Gath, Philistine territory, Goliath's hometown, with Goliath's sword in his hand. (laughs) David, the slayer of their soldiers. Did David forget about the 200 Philistines' foreskins? Well, the Philistines in Gath didn't didn't forget. (laughs) And sure enough, upon entering Gath, the king's servants immediately recognized David. So look with me at verses 11 through 15. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him and dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten, ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the door of the gate and let spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? So David, David realizes that he has been had. His fear has led to desperation, and now there is nowhere else to flee. David never stopped running long enough to seek God's help, to pray, or to ask Ahimelech for advice and prayer. When faced with a serious situation, what is your first response? Is it to seek God, to pray, to ask for prayer? When I was first made aware of my cancer, 
fear and desperation was at the door. Just wanting to barge in. And I thank God for my family and friends who quickly reminded me of who my God is. Well, I knew this would be hard. My sister Patty is here. She regularly and faithfully texts me scriptures all through my three surgeries. And she would send me snapshots of scriptures that my mom had written down years ago. Yes. Thank you, Patty. Church, believe me, I know how easy it is to let disbelief and fear sneak in. And when it does, we make decisions not informed on truth. You see, David's desperation has him running like a madman. And now he will have to start acting like a madman. We see in verse 13, David pretended to be insane. So why fake madness? Well, back in those days, they believed if a, if a mad person spit on you, it was contagious. And also, if a person lost their mind, it was bad luck on the entire city. So David's sinful disbelief and fear has brought him to a low of pretending to be insane, making marks on the door, and letting spit run down his beard. Excuse me. But you know, just when it appears that there is no hope, God meets David with mercy. I believe this is evident when we look at Psalm 56 and 34. These are praise psalms on how David interprets his time in Gath. So turning your Bibles to Psalm 56. You see, in Psalm 56, David shows a different heart. In verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 56, David puts his trust in God. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. And God, whose word I praise, and God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? David remembers who is for him and where his trust needed to be. David repeats three times in Psalm 56, whose word I praise. You see, when David trusted in himself, it led to disbelief and fear. He had strayed from the truth, from God's word. But as we can see in Psalm 56, David is now trusting in God's word, giving him praise. David acknowledges that the danger, the trial, the fear is real. He's not denying being afraid of the Philistines or of Saul. He says in verse 3, when I'm afraid, but then he doesn't stay there. David follows up with when I'm afraid, immediately with, I put my trust in you. 
And then in verse 4b, I trust, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. To trust God is to trust what he says. He says he is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? Romans 8, 31. When in fear of troubles of this world, seek the Lord. Listen for his voice. His voice tells us in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Believer, through faith you are in him. He lives in you. You have overcome the world. John 5, 4 and 5, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We can see by Psalm 56 that David has had a turning point, a heart change. He, is, he was being ruled by disbelief and fear, but now his trust is in God. We'll see in chapter, 20, we'll see in chapter 22 that David does escape to the cave of Adullam. He's still in a mess. He's still hiding out from King Saul, but I believe we see a difference in David. He is now putting his trust in the Lord. Church, so often when troubles come, big or small, we can be tempted to respond in disbelief and fear, which leads us down a path of sin. Like a fugitive on the run, we don't stop long enough to consider the consequences of our actions. David put his trust in God and God's word, which led him to praise. You see, he anchored himself in the specific promises of God. Church, trust in God's word. And to do that, we need to anchor ourselves in God's word. Has disbelief and fear convinced you that running is your only option? Have you lost all hope? Are you afraid? This could be applied in so many different areas. Things that we face in this fallen world. It could be a sickness, a long-term illness, something that you've been suffering with for years. It could be a marriage that you're just losing all hope in. For our young people, just a daunting task of trying to figure out what career am I to pursue? What does my future look like? Or maybe for you it's a hidden sin, a sin that has you captive in the fear of putting it in the light. What has you on the run like a fugitive? You just can't see a way out. David found himself in a hopeless situation. Disbelief and fear was ruling the day until he was reminded of who his God is. God is sovereign. He's good. He hears our cries. God brings comfort to the afflicted. He's our deliverer. He's our redeemer. And my final point and conclusion, God is faithful. 
David was chosen by God to be king over Israel. David was a man after God's own heart. But as we have seen in this chapter and other chapters, David didn't live a sinless life. When David realized his sin, his weakness, and need for constant grace, we see in Psalm 34, a psalm in which David is reflecting on his Gath experience, David said, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Believer, when you find yourself in desperate times, where are you tempted to run? David turned to the Lord in Psalm 34, verse 6. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. You know, there were times in my career where I would catch a fugitive that had been on the run for a long time, desperately hiding out, afraid, but once in custody, relieved, relieved that the running was over. Yes, they were facing jail time, but the running had become worse than the consequences. As with the fugitive facing jail time, you may be thinking that the consequences are too great. Running and hiding from God without confession and repentance brings separation from God. Church, in our weakness, he will be with us. And he is enough, he is enough to sustain us Amen. throughout all of our trials. Right. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, Since then we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. That's good news but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So are you tired of running? Trust God who is faithful, who sent the great high priest who is able to sympathize with your weaknesses. Do you know this great high priest? Jesus Christ. If you don't, then you have every reason to be on the run and to be in fear. So stop running. Confess and repent of your sins. Surrender to the King, Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord. Well, church, we will now transition to receiving communion. We want to remember what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. Now, communion is for those who have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior over their lives, for those who have put their faith and trust in him and have repented for their sins. For believers, we never want to take the elements in an unworthy manner. 
So I would encourage you to examine your hearts and deal with any unrepentant sin before receiving communion. The good news, you can do it right there in your seats. Paul in 2 Timothy 2.8 said, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as I preached in my gospel. In our text today, David was at one of his lows with disbelief and fear, but yet here in this passage we clearly see evidence of God's incredible faithfulness. For David to be named in the lineage of Christ shows us that we too are secured in Christ. Paul mentions two specific areas to remember Jesus. First, Paul tells us to remember him, Christ, as risen from the dead. If Christ has risen from the dead, he is alive and has triumphed over death. Church, including our death. That's good news. Secondly, remember him as the offspring of David. Paul says this because the resurrection of Jesus was not a random resurrection. It was the resurrection of the son of David. Now, why does Paul say that? Paul says that because every Jewish person would know what that meant. It meant that Jesus is the Messiah. John 7, 42. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? This means the resurrection was a resurrection of an everlasting king. So church, no matter what you're facing today, remember, Christ is risen from the dead. The resurrection of an everlasting king. What great hope that gives us this morning. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says in verses 23 to 26, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, The cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Church, let's hold the bread. Our Lord, this bread serves to remind us that you became poor for our sake to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus, you became our substitute. You took our sins upon yourself, and as our substitute, you bore the wrath of God, the punishment that we deserved. Church, let's take the bread together. Let's hold the cup.
Lord, this cup serves to remind us that your blood was shed and poured out for our sins. Lord, your resurrection was the resurrection of an everlasting king. Church, let's drink the cup together. Let's pray. Lord, may we daily seek you for the faith needed to walk with you in this fallen world. I pray this morning that you would sustain, strengthen, and deepen our faith. May our faith be the power to fight the enemy when disbelief and fear comes our way. Remind us daily of your faithfulness and help us to daily draw near to you with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, stand.